0: I think it's safe to say that most of us in general like to fit in. Um, We don't like to stand out. We don't like to be different. We don't like to be noticed. We want people to like us. We don't want to be the person everybody avoids. And um, when we don't fit in, we're not comfortable. when our actions cause people to not want to be around us, uh, it makes us sort of stop and question ourselves. What's going on? And do we really want to do this? Well, we want to talk about that today as, as Christians because the reality is, and the first Christians experienced this, as Christians, we can be loved or hated. We see that around the world, we read about it in the news. And the early Christians experienced that as well. When Christianity began, Christians were looked at very positively. Uh, We read in Acts 2, when the church was brand new, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And not just those who were in the church who were Christians. Those in the city of Jerusalem who watched them said, wow, good group of folks. But all that changed in about thirty years in the early sixties of AD it wasn't popular anymore to be a Christian in fact a lot of people at that point no longer liked the Christians especially those in power especially the leaders especially those sorta up front they began to really look down on the Christians Let me read for you a few quotes of those kinds of leaders, public people, in 60 A.D. Christians are a class of people we hate for their abominations. Christianity is a deadly superstition. It is hideous and shameful. Christians are a class of people given to a new and wicked superstition. Pliny, who was the governor of an area of Turkey that we're going to read about in just a minute in the book of 1 Peter, as he was governor at this very time, he wrote to the Roman emperor Trajan about the Christians. And this governor said, Christianity is a perverse and extravagant superstition. Isn't it interesting, in 30 years, the Christians went from being viewed as favorable to being looked down on. And it was because the Christians were different. They didn't go along with the values of that day. They didn't go along with all of the multiple religions. They said, there's one true God, and we need to live according to his truth. And this is moral, and this is right, and this is not right. And because they did that, the attitude to Christians changed. Significantly, as you just heard, physical persecution had not yet happened by the early 60s, but in a sense, the handwriting was on the wall. The attitude was changing toward the Christians, and it would eventually lead to physical persecution. So what do you do if you're not liked? How do you handle those attitudes? If people start to look down on you as you are a Christian because you are a Christian, what do you do? How do you handle it? Part of why we're going to go through the book of 1 Peter this summer is because this situation which they faced and Peter was writing to, I think we're all beginning to notice some uncomfortable parallels where it's not as popular to be a Christian today. And more and more people start to look down on Christians. So, what do we do? How do we handle that? Do you stop being different? That's one option. To stop speaking up and saying things that you've been taught because it will make you go against the popular trend, not be politically correct, speak out against something that's now become accepted. That's one option. Of course, another option is for the Christians to just withdraw. If we're not wanted out there, then we'll just spend all our time with the other Christians. And we'll live inside the building and cover the windows and sort of hide together. And yet, it's hard to obey Christ to be salt and light if we're just in here. So what do we do as Christians? How do we handle this? How do we respond? Well that's really what the book of 1 Peter is about. And that's why we want to work through 1 Peter. But I want you to notice something, that the first thing Peter talks about is, is our attitudes more than our actions, and I want to call that out because if you're like me, the first thing I want to ask if I face a situation is, well what do I do? What should we do? We tend to be people of action. But it's interesting, that's not where Peter starts. He doesn't start with, what do you do? He starts with, let me remind you of who you are. And Peter's right. Because what we do flows out of who we are. And so the first thing, when we face opposition, when we're, it's not popular to be a Christian, The beginning point is to remind ourselves, who are we? Who are we really? Are we crazy? Are we the bad person? Are we losers? Have we done something wrong? Who are we? We need to get that straight because that will direct what we do. And so that's where Peter begins. His book with a reminder to his readers of who they are. Turn over with me to 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. You're probably aware, but most of the books in the New Testament are actually letters that were written to Christians. And so they all tend to begin with a salutation, and a greeting, like any letter that we would write today. And 1 Peter is no different. And so he begins, Peter an apostle of Christ Jesus, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance." Peter begins with who we are. The NIV uses the word exiles. I want to change that a little bit because an exile, at least in my mind, an exile is somebody who's been forced out, and that's not who we are. The word that Peter uses there probably is best translated sort of sojourners, but we don't use that word anymore. Think of it as a student who says, I'm going to choose to have a year abroad studying Or you're somebody that your business says, I need you to go live in Germany for three years. It's by your choice. You're over there. You're not really in exile, but the point of the word and the point of Peter is, I'm not from here. I'm not a citizen of this country. I'm living here for a time, but my passport is for another country. And that's the point that Peter wants to remind these Christians and all of those cities and areas and districts that he lists. You think Turkey. Modern day Turkey is all of that area. We call it Asia Minor. But that's where they all were. And he says, I'm writing to you Christians who are scattered around this whole area because... I need to remind you of who you are. You're sojourners. You're not from these areas, not anymore. And as a result of that, because you're a foreigner, people won't always understand you. People won't know where you're coming from. They're not going to see what you see. They're not going to understand what you understand because you're from a different place. You're a sojourner. You, you have a different citizenship, and they won't always react positively to you. And Jesus warned us about that. Because they didn't react positively to him. Turn over to first John, not first, to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Peter, Jesus says something there. If the world hates you. Keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. One of the consequences, and Jesus is warning us about that, and Peter is writing to Christians who are starting to experience it, is that once Jesus calls us and we choose to get up and leave our fishing nets and follow Jesus and listen to Him and become like Him and listen to His views and what's right and wrong and all of that, we become foreigners and the world doesn't understand where we're coming from. And one of the things that humans tend to do is they strike out against that which is different and that which they don't understand. And part of what Jesus says is, I need to warn you, this is going to happen, but also I need to let you know, don't think it's you. Don't think you're doing something wrong, because that's how they treated me. And that's how they've always treated Christians, when they don't understand them. Because we're not from here. And there's nothing wrong with us. That's who we are. But the good news of all of that is that God has chosen us and picked us. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. We know that we are these sojourners. We are foreigners because God called us. He wants us. We may see others saying we're not popular, we're not wanted, we're crazy, and all of that, but God wants us. And out of that fact that we are citizens of a different place, we know the truth. And we know through God what is right and what is wrong and what direction life should go. And Peter says, You need to remember that. As you're not as popular, maybe, as it once was to be a Christian. As some people question your beliefs or question what you say right and wrong, you need to remember who you are and the passport you carry. I, I just always remember way back in the 70s when Peggy and I were smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. I, I cannot communicate how comforting it was at times to even st- stick your hand in your pocket and touch your American passport. It reminded you of who you were and it reminded you of the power behind you and that you weren't alone. And it might feel that way when you're at a border and there's all these guards with machine guns and dogs and everything else looking for the Bibles that you know are in your van. But you touched that passport and it reminded you of who you were and it's like It's okay. It's okay. And that's the exact feeling Peter is wanting us to hear as Christians. Don't forget who you are. It may not feel good at times to go to work and be the only Christian. It may not feel good at times to be on the sport team and be the only Christian. And some are going to look down on you, but don't forget who you are. And the passport you carry that's read in the blood of Christ. Don't forget who you are. Peter goes on to tell them something else. God's got this. He also says there in, in verse 2. You are this and all this is happening according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I would suspect that every one of us in the last six months has spent some time wringing their hands and fretting about the condition of our country and the direction we're going and the morals and all of that. And it looks really bad and it does. And we don't know what's going to happen and we don't have the answers. But you know what? We need to hear that verse 2 again. God knows what's going on. He's got this. Peter says, All this is unfolding, and God knew it was going to happen. He's not saying God dealt it, God caused it. He says, Foreknowledge, God knew in advance. He knew this would come. Jesus said in John 15, You're going to face opposition. I know it's coming. But you see, what Peter wants us to hear from God is, I got this. I'm still on my throne. And I know what's going on. And I know what the answers are. And I know what I need to do. I got this. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to panic. You don't need to fret. Yes, you don't know. And you don't have the answers. And you don't know what's coming. But you're only humans. I'm God. And God says, uh, this is exactly what I knew was going to happen. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. I got that, I know, I know, I see, relax, I got this. We need that reassurance. We need that assurance that we serve a God who is greater, who has never been surprised, and who never faces a situation or a problem where he says, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. We all say that all the time. We don't see a way out of this. God says, oh, there's a way. I know what to do. I got this. We need to hear that. Because we're not in control and that scares us. But God says, I am in control. You can relax. You can have peace. And we're going to end with that at the end of verse 2. In the midst of this, it's interesting what Peter says. He reminds us of who we are. He reminds us of God, knows what's going on. And he also says, I got two good news for you. Um, Two good things for us. And later in verse 2, Peter reminds us of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. I want to stop there. I know that's a theological word, I doubt if you've used at work last week the word sanctify. It's become a theological word. But the concept is simply the Spirit is working to train and change us, to make us into these citizens of God's kingdom. So that we start to look like a child of God and think like a child of God and act like a child of God and understand the things God's children should understand. And the great good news is we don't have to do all that on our own. Now, yeah, we need to choose to come to church and choose to read our Bibles and listen and learn. That's our contribution, but it's not all up to us. The Spirit is also working in life to help us learn and grow and change. And I don't think it's by accident that Peter puts that right in the context of when life isn't working for us Christians. Because the reality is at times the Spirit will use the very difficult situations we face to help us learn and change and grow. It doesn't take long to learn in life. It is some of the toughest situations where we grow the most. When everything is a bed of roses, we don't do a lot of growing, we just sit around and enjoy. It's in the tough times that we are stretched and we learn some very important but painful lessons and we are changed. And so, Peter's reminding us that as we're Christians and we're facing difficult situations because we're Christians, don't lose sight of the fact that the Spirit will be doing His sanctifying work in those situations, and that He's bringing good for us in our lives, we will become changed for the better, even as we're facing opposition. And the other thing the NIV reads, be obedient to Christ Jesus, sprinkled with His blood. The order is a little different in the original Greek, but I think the concept is, we're sprinkled with the blood of Christ and that helps us be obedient and I think about that and what better way to learn if I'm learning we've probably all had teachers or coaches or whatever who never cut you any slack if you mess up they are down your throat it makes it a little tense to learn because you're terrified of making a mistake but if you have a coach or a teacher or leader Who's willing to cut you some slack and say, hey, you didn't quite make it, but you came close, let's try it again. Man, you're in there and you're learning and you're improving and you're playing better. Peter reminds us that's how our God is. We have the blood of Christ that is forgiving us. We mess up, we tried, we blew it. God says, come on, let's uh, clean up, let's go on, let's try it again. What a way to learn and grow. And that's what God is giving us, that blood of Christ that helps us in the process of learning to obey. Well, there's one other thing Peter ends with, and that is the gift we receive. The end of verse 2 is, grace and peace be yours in abundance. I want to read what Peter wrote literally. He says there at the end, grace to you and peace be multiplied. That's his wish to us. Now, you're citizens of a new kingdom. You're living as sojourners. You're facing not being popular. But remember who you are. Remember what you have. Remember the spirit working in you. And I want you to know you have God's grace. And my wish is that your peace be multiplied. I love the concept of peace in the New Testament. The word is a reine. And it's just this great word that says, you know, you sit down, you go out this afternoon, you sit down in your lawn chair on the deck, and you just go, oh, isn't life great? That's the concept of irene, Peace in the areas of your life. It's okay. It's going to be okay. God's on his throne. And may this be multiplied to us. Not just added a little bit more, multiplied that we can have that knowledge that we're not in control. We may not be popular right now, but we know who we are. And we know what we have. And God's working in us even now to help us grow, be sanctified, become more like Christ. And he's working in all of this. And Peter says, that's what I'm writing for you for. And he'll come back to some of these themes as we work through the rest of Fierce Peter. And he'll talk about what we should do and not do. And he'll get real practical. But he begins with this basic foundation. Don't ever forget who you are. And the status you have, that passport you carry as a Christian. That red passport with the blood of Christ that says, I'm a child of the King. I'm an adopted son or daughter of the God of the universe. Jesus is my brother. I know who I am, and I know my God's got this. I can relax. Peace can be multiplied to us. And this summer we're going to look at how we do that. Let's pray. Father, none of us would desire a time when it's not popular to be a Christian. And we know there's Christians today around the world living in terrible situations where they can be arrested and killed for being a Christian, and and we're not there. But even as it's not as popular to be a Christian, we need your help to see things correctly and keep perspective and to live and handle this like you want us to. I thank you for this letter you've preserved for us that Peter wrote. And I pray you'll help us see who we really are and understand our privileged status here. We may be foreigners, but we're citizens of your kingdom. And we thank you for that adoption, that grace. May your peace be multiplied to us. In your son's name.